Well, good morning, Elevation. Here I am at my dining room table. Uh, I just want to say the obvious. Uh, I'm not wearing a bathrobe. And just apologies if that has disappointed you right out, out of the gate here. Uh, I feel like I'm doing an address from like the Oval Office here. It's very formal. This is not how I'm used to communicating, uh, but this is kind of one of my new workspaces and this new work from home reality. I kind of find a different place around the house to do what I need to do, depending on where everyone else is at. It's a nice enough room. I, you know, I don't mind our dining room, but uh, it's far cry from 22 Willow. Uh, sorry, we have no soaring ceilings here this morning. I am not surrounded by beautiful pictures of stained glass. And uh, well, you're not here. And that kind of sucks, got to be honest with you. I don't like this. Uh, last Sunday morning, uh, when I was looking into a camera, much like I'm doing this morning, uh, I just, uh, I was feeling a heaviness about it. And after the service, you know, we were talking about it, debriefing, and I was just saying like, this is, this is just not the way it's supposed to be. And I stumbled out of the gate last week, Sunday and Monday, I was a little down, just feeling the heaviness of this and trying to figure out, you know, what it was all about and what this was. Um, our routines have been disrupted. Uh, we have, we're living with this forced isolation and, uh, and even questions around our, our identity, our purpose these days, they're starting to kind of swirl around some of our minds. A lot of stuff going on, that's for sure. All of these emotions are real. All of the losses are real, even if it is only temporary, which it is. At the tail end of a letter from a pastor in Geneva, uh, he writes, life in lockdown is hard. But it is also an exercise in humility. Our collective well-being makes our little individual wishes look a bit whimsical and small-minded. In the end, each of us is giving up our individual freedom in order to protect everybody, especially the sick and the elderly. When everybody's health is at stake, true freedom is to follow instructions. So we're trying to do that here as a church. And of course, people are doing that all over the place. Jude sent me a message this week with a photo from the Boston Red Sox Instagram page. Um, you'll see a, a picture of the logo there for the Boston Red Sox, this pair of overlapping socks. But apparently uh, they have altered their logo and now the socks are not touching. Um, the idea is that the only thing that these players are practicing is social distancing. So even the logo is going along with that. Uh, and then I was at the grocery store this week and I saw a sign that said, practice social distancing. And I was like, well, here we are again. But then I saw another sign that they had changed. And actually most of the signs in the store were like the second one, which said practice physical distancing, which is different, but it says something. If this time of physical isolation is teaching us anything, it's about the importance of removing our social distance. We need to draw closer to one another. And so I like the, the change in wording that we're going to use here. But in this morning's reading, we cross paths with someone who is experiencing genuine social distancing, not because he was concerned about passing something on or about catching something, but because of what he already had, so to speak. We're reading from Mark chapter 10 and uh, verse 46 says, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, this past summer, a friend of mine was on sabbatical leave. He's a pastor downtown Toronto, and he asked me to come and speak at his church, which normally would just not be an option because I speak at my own church. But they were actually having alternate week services in the afternoon on Sunday. So I was with you all on Sunday morning in Waterloo, and then I drove downtown and got ready to speak at his church downtown Toronto. Um, so I got in there and I was meeting the people who were kind of coordinating the service and a couple of leaders in the church. And, 
And what I recognized soon enough was that their church was meeting, the service was at four o'clock or something like that. And there was also a meal in the church that they were renting that was being served to people experiencing homelessness. And I was seeing a number of them walking in and out of the service. And I was speaking that afternoon on a passage uh, that's similar to the one we're talking about this morning, uh, where there was a different blind man who was begging at the side of the road. And, and so I started getting a little self-conscious thinking, wait a second, if people who are um, actually literally begging outside of the walls of this church are going to be walking in and, and hearing me talk about this, like, is that going to be awkward? So I talked to one of the leaders there and I asked him what he thought. And he said, oh, you know, most of them just kind of come in and out and it's okay. I mean, you're, you're going to be respectful anyways. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, the service is going on and during the time of worship, I look out and I see someone, a young woman kind of walking in and she's walking in with her hand on the elbow of the person in front of her, at which point I realize that she's visually impaired. And so now it just goes way up for me. I'm thinking, okay, so not only do we have people who may be begging um, outside the walls of these church, but now we have someone who is blind and I'm going to be telling a story about a blind beggar and talking about our own spiritual blindness. Um, it was uncomfortable, but I made it through. Even after that experience, though, I still can't help but recognize a little bit of myself and a little bit of all of us in a story like the one that we had read for us this morning. I mean, don't we all feel a little blind these days? Like we can't see what's in front of us, what, what's coming next, what might be around the corner three months, three weeks, even three days from now. Our steering committee met online, of course, last week, to have a conversation just about how these current circumstances are affecting the life of our community. And one of the things we decided to do is hit a pause on our hiring process. We just don't feel like we can see far enough ahead to know whether we should pursue this at this time. So we'll hit pause. But the truth is, we were all a little blind before all of this happened. I mean, three weeks ago, this pandemic was barely on any of our radar. And not one of us could have imagined the way that we are living our daily lives today. Our ability to see what's in front of us can lull us into believing that we can see more and further than we're actually capable of seeing. Visual impairment is not just a physical condition, but it's kind of a human condition. Like Bartimaeus, our inability to see clearly in times like these, they can leave us feeling trapped, limited, and afraid. But what if like Bartimaeus in another sense, we saw here an opportunity for help. Verse 27, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This last week, I was at a grocery store. Sorry, but all of my illustrations are going to come from the grocery store because that's really the only place I'm allowed to go anymore. Um, and I was moving my cart up and down an aisle and I saw an elderly woman and she kind of waved out to me and she said, excuse me, sir, would you be willing to help me? And she called me over and she said that she needed a, a jar of chili sauce, but it was on the top shelf and she couldn't reach it. And so I'm facing a little bit of a dilemma. Admittedly, I'm supposed to help the elderly and vulnerable, but I'm also supposed to stay six feet away from people. Um, so I leaned in the direction of helping the elderly and I got the jar from the woman down from the shelf. Um, but the reason I tell the story is that the whole time, like from the moment she asked me until I was walking away after having got the jar of chili sauce for her, she was just so apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry to bother you. Oh, I'm so sorry to impose on you. Oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. And I was just thinking as I was walking away, like, like why is it so hard for us to ask for help? Why is it so hard for us to say, I need something. I can't do this thing. I need someone else to step in and help me here. 
It's important for us to be honest about our needs, to be honest with God, and to be honest with one another. I mentioned earlier that I was kind of limping out of the, the gate this week, and I reached out to some of my pastor friends, and I said, guys, uh, this is what's going on in my head right now. This is how I'm feeling. Uh, I just want to put it out there because it's important to be talking to people about this stuff. And I got a response from one of them, and he said, I've had all the same thoughts and emotions. There's value in us reaching out and acknowledging the needs we have at this time. As the story continues, many people rebuked um, Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He's like, there is no way I'm going to listen to your negativity and distraction when someone who could actually help me is over there. So he keeps shouting. Now, the difference in our current situation is that there isn't one blind man at the side of the road uh, who's while everyone else is walking by healthy and whole, we all have real needs right now. Different needs, uh, different level for sure, but we all have real needs. And pretending that we don't is not going to do us any good. So we need to shout out. And if we feel ourselves discouraged or that no one's listening to us or someone doesn't hear us, we need to shout out again. It's important. Bartimaeus' sight was a limitation, but at least he put himself in a position to be helped. If he hadn't been begging in the first place, he would never have encountered Jesus. So here's an interesting question for us to think about. Uh, what is your starting point to each day? Where do you put yourself? Bartimaeus put himself at the side of the road to be visible to people so he could ask for help. Where do you start your day? Um, I think it's very easy to wake up in the morning and, and immediately jump to the news to see what's going on or, or check social media and see what people are talking about now. Um, I've kind of made it a discipline of my own to say the first things I'm going to do are read the Bible and talk to God. And then almost always, almost every day, I'm going to the news next because I do want to know what's going on. But I think it's important to orient ourselves at the very beginning of the day, say, no, I want to sit myself like Bartimaeus at the side of the road. I want to put myself in a position where I'm most likely to get the help that I need to make it through uh, the day ahead. So what is your starting point? Uh, Bartimaeus calls out and Jesus stopped and said to his followers, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Um, yeah, it's one thing to call out to Jesus. It's another thing entirely for Jesus to call out to you and what it would have been like for Bartimaeus in that moment. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And what it will be like for us when Jesus calls out to us in response to our questions and requests. Um, so am I willing to humble myself at the side of the road? And despite the heaviness and the discouragement around in the world around me, keep calling out to God until he responds. He calls Bartimaeus to him and pronounces this healing over him. Go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So Bartimaeus is a powerful reminder to us of how the good news of the kingdom can take root in the soil of anyone's life and can produce fruit. In Bartimaeus' case, it was healing, physical healing from his blindness. And the other fruit was this following of Jesus. And who knows what became of his life from that moment on. Well, all month long, we've been looking at a parable that Jesus told about a farmer sowing seed. He said that some of the seed was scattered on the path. And as soon as it hit the ground, the birds swooped down and skipped and snuck it away. Uh, some of the seed, he said, actually fell in rocky places. So it was able to put down roots quickly, but... Uh, the plant began to grow, but almost as soon as it did, the sun scorched it and it withered away. Uh, the third type of seed is, is sown among thorns. And so the plant is able to grow just fine. But eventually, at some point, um, as Graham talked to us about last Sunday, the thorns begin to choke out the plant, the worries, the concerns of life and the world. 
none of the seed is taking root. And that's what a lot of us have been hearing in the news as well. Everything is going wrong. Nothing is working the way it's supposed to. It's just one piece of bad news after the next. The seed of the kingdom is not taking root. I was listening to a podcast and honestly, most of it was good. They were kind of talking about this current pandemic and our response to it. But at one point, one of the hosts said, you know, now is probably a good time to start learning how to grow your own vegetables. And I was like, ooh, wow, that's uh, that's something else. But I was like, okay, yeah, it is a good life skill to have. But what he said next threw me for a loop. He said, actually, I just told my son, and I have no idea how old his son is, maybe five years old, maybe 25, I don't know. He said, I just actually told my son it'd probably be a good idea for him to find some YouTube videos on learning how to hunt. And I was like, man, you just hit like a giant red panic button for everyone listening right now. Everyone is having the same thoughts as me. Like, wait a second. Is this going to get so bad that I'm going to have to hunt for my food? Like, what am I going to do? Like whittle a bow and arrow and go over to the conservation area and start shooting at squirrels? Like, anyways, panic. And then you might have seen this in the news this week. Uh, the headline said Etobicoke Creek runs red. So this is like an hour away for us and the water is running red. This is like a plague of Egypt, like blood in the water. Uh, it's the last thing we need to see. Now, in case you're concerned, it was just an ink factory that had an accident. But we don't need these kind of images in these, in these really extreme situations. I don't think they're helping us. Well, finally, after talking about all the ways that the message of the kingdom can fail to take root, we get to the part where the seed not only takes root, but produces fruit. And actually following this parable in Mark chapter four, Jesus goes on to share a couple of other parables. And I wanna read those this morning as well. The first one starts in verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. For all of the ways a seed can fail to take root, there is always the possibility that's what's lying dormant inside. The good news, the message of the kingdom will explode into new life. But where are we supposed to find good news in these exceptionally challenging days? I'm reading a novel right now and one of the characters in the novel is a pastor who is having like this crisis of faith. And so one of his parishioners kind of approaches him and, and asks for some encouragement and some advice. And he says this line that I jotted down. I was like, oh, this is brilliant for times like these. He says, I may be able to hint at some hope. That was all he was able to offer. He wasn't able to promise it. He was able to hint at the possibility of some hope. And I've seen pictures of this primarily thanks to my wife who's on social media and sends me these stories. Uh, like the couple in BC who decided to get married in the middle of the street. They couldn't have the wedding they planned. So they went out and they had their first dance in the middle of the road and the cars lined the street on either side. People sitting in their cars or sitting on top of their cars, practicing their physical distancing, um, respecting the rules, but they were still able to celebrate. Uh, or maybe you've seen videos like the one of the guy playing a keyboard out on his balcony in Barcelona and he's just playing the song and all of a sudden the guy down here, he's on a saxophone, he leans over the railing and he's playing it and, and people are clapping and cheering and singing along. It was just beautiful. I mean, I wish he didn't play, you know, My Heart Will Go On. That was a little cheesy, but it was just this beautiful picture of kind of people coming together and sowing good news uh, in these dark days. And then I heard some really good news this week 
uh, about Dyson, the company that makes vacuums and, and whatnot, they have decided in the course of 10 days, they were able to design a ventilator that can be produced very quickly and will be specifically designed to treat patients uh, who are suffering from COVID-19. And they're beginning production. They're going to be coming out next week already. It's just, there is lots of good happening. And it's not just in the headlines. It's not just in the news. It's not just in Barcelona or BC. It's, it's here too, in our own lives. I think some of the good seed that's being planted right now and might be hidden in the midst of things that we don't like so much, like our vulnerability. I think vulnerability is a gift of this season. The fact that we lack control over a lot of things right now could be a good thing for us. Prayer. I mean, how many people are praying a little bit more than you did two weeks ago? It's a good thing. So there's, a, there's an, an element of some growth that's taking place from this ground. There's an emphasis in what we have in common. I think in a world that's so divided um, in so many ways, we're realizing that we actually have a lot in common with one another, not only us at Elevation, not only us in Waterloo or even in Canada, but globally, like this is affecting everybody. And so we get to realize the things we have in common with one another. And then we have opportunities for looking out for each other. I think that's another uh, opportunity for good news to take root and grow. We all have something to give to others at this time, whether it's you're taller than someone and can help them in a grocery store. Um, I'm part of this social network in our neighborhood called Next Door, and some of you probably are as well. Uh, if you're not, you should look into it. It's basically a, a very specific uh, geographic neighborhood and, and all the neighbors kind of connect with one another. And, and people have been posting needs up there and people have been making themselves available. There's this map where you can actually put a little star on your house and let people know I'm here to help. If you have a need, just click on me and I'll come and help you this week. Uh, there's a guy in our neighborhood who decided, he said, you know, I like to paint as a hobby and I have this little kind of homemade website that I put together to share my stuff. So I'm going to have a separate page for anyone in our neighborhood who wants to share their art. And so uh, I got an email that uh, someone sent in their 12 year old son's painting that they did. And and this guy posts it on his website. I'm like, that is, in a sense, it's like the most insignificant thing at all, of all. But at the same time, it's beautiful. And it's something good and hopeful that's growing out of these times. I like what Frederick Beatner writes. Maybe what is good about religion is playing that the kingdom will come. Until, in the joy of your playing, the hope and rhythm and comradeship and poignance and mystery of it, you start to see that the playing is itself the first fruits of the kingdom's coming and of God's presence within us and among us. It's beautiful words. Not only does the good news produce fruit, it produces fruit that multiplies. And so again, Jesus tells another parable in Mark chapter four. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So the fruit multiplies. I read a story a month or so ago about a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt. She was born in 1877. And as the story goes, one day she went to her Sunday school class and she found that the pastor was having to turn some children away at the door because actually there just was not enough room in the building. And she went up to him, this little six-year-old girl, and, and asked the pastor, like, you know, why are you telling these children they can't come in? And he said, I'm sorry, Hattie, but there just isn't enough space right here. Well, it's a tragic story. 
um, Hattie Mae decided uh, to decide to save up her money to help solve the situation, to help build a new church building. But she passed away um, when she was only six years old. And as they were looking through her things, they found tucked under her pillow this little purse that contained 57 cents in it. And so uh, they brought this, this purse to the church and they said she was saving up for us to buy a new building. And they gave this money to the church. Well, the pastor had an idea. He exchanged it all for pennies. And then he, he went to his church community and he said, we're going to auction off these pennies. And so we sold 57 cents worth of pennies for $250. This is 1877, so this is a lot of money. And then he took that $250 that they had raised for a new building and he exchanged it into pennies and he did the same thing again. And they auctioned off all of these pennies until they had enough money to buy a building that was big enough so that they wouldn't have to turn any kids away from their Sunday school. What begins in tragedy, children being torn away, the death of a young child ends in blessing. God, may we experience more of the same in our own time, in our own city, in our own lives. Oscar Romero, an El Salvadorian priest, once wrote that it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is the Lord's work. Nothing we do is complete which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very, very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We can't forget that the journey of Lent we were on before the coronavirus entered our lives is a journey that leads us to the cross and then through to the other side. It's a journey that all of us blind beggars need to make. The journey of a seed that falls lifeless into the ground, but in time bursts through to the surface of the dirt to produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So I wanna close my reflections this morning with uh, actually the words of benediction of sorts from an email I received from a network that I track with. They wrote, the circumstances that we are all walking through now will ultimately be used by God for the furtherance of the kingdom in the future. So please remember, as we enter this potentially heavy week, that the life of the gospel that you are giving forth will plant seeds that will one day come to life. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, there is so much for us to turn to you about in these days. God, we pray for our world. We pray for the world outside of our homes, outside of our city, outside of our country. We pray for those who are working on the front lines the medical staff, researchers, government leaders, people who are doing their best to help keep things moving forward, people who are doing their best to help others. God, I pray that you would use each one of us, that you would help us to realize that there are opportunities everywhere for us to sow seeds of the kingdom, that we can begin to see good things grow right here in our own lives. God, help us to have eyes to see. Help us to be wise in it, not to try to be brave and, and end up doing more harm 
because we're crossing boundaries, but God help us within the, the boundaries that we've been given, within this new reality that we find ourselves, to be able to live as the salt of the earth, as the light of the world, as mustard seeds being scattered around our city. God, I pray for those whose lives are being affected by this in our community, people who are perhaps being laid off from work, people who are struggling with loved ones who are ill, people who are struggling with loneliness, anxiety. God, I ask that you would be present with them and that you would call them to mind for us, that we would look out for our neighbors, our neighbors in our church, our neighbors in the block around us. God, I pray that your peace would rest with us today, this week, and through this next season that we're about to walk. As we continue our journey to the cross, help us to keep our eyes on you. With thanks, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.